Welcome back to another episode. Today, we're continuing the conversation with Ashley Bernardi. In part two of our discussion, we talk more about the idea of getting primal with our meltdowns, the feel framework that Ashley created, how she's gone about rebalancing her body and mind after intense trauma, and what she learned from the experts she spoke with while researching her book. I hope you'll stick around. Remember, if you enjoy the show, the best way to show your support is by heading over to bedletter.substack.com and subscribing. The links to the Substack, my Twitter profile, and everything else can be found in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Christian Ashleman, and this is Bedletter. question really goes in line with the idea of getting primal with our meltdowns kind of what we just discussed and and with our emotions so Ashley what specifically do you think you've learned from implementing that tactic of embracing the emotions in order to heal oh my gosh (laughs) so much I mean by embracing your emotions and acknowledging that they're there having the awareness that you're there that they're there it lets you process them and then it lets you let them go, which is the most beautiful thing. And I thought that by suppressing my emotions and numbing myself through work, through alcohol, through destructive relationships, that was my way of letting them go. When you don't process your emotions, they are still there stuck inside you energetically. You can bury them all you want. They're still there. They are meant to be expressed. They are meant to be let out. It's a gift that we have. Those emotions are there for a reason. They're an indicator that something might feel off to you. So let yourself feel them. I mean, that's the whole thesis and premise of my book is that give yourself permission to feel. We don't in our society, and especially for me growing up in the 90s, I didn't give myself permission to feel. I was never taught that I had permission to feel. I had no idea that I had permission to feel. I thought that I had to put on a mask of strength because I was an army colonel's daughter. Now I'm like, no way. If I'm feeling uncomfortable emotions, I'm going to express them in many different ways. It could be primally. It could be through a scream. It could be sadness. It could be through crying. It could be laughter. It could be happiness. Whatever it is, I'm going to physically express it. I'm going to meditate on it. I'll maybe write it, write it out. But those emotions, are there for a reason and they're meant to be expressed. And it wasn't until I started expressing them. And I have a lot of emotions. I'm a highly sensitive person and HSP, like I get it. I I maybe like more than than the average bear. I've always been told I'm more sensitive than the the average bear. But I've also learned that my sensitivity is my superpower and that I can help a lot of other people when I, in a healthy way, express my emotions. And more than anything else, I help myself when I express my emotions because I give them permission to be processed and eventually let go like a cloud passing. Um, and so that's what's been like the whole beautiful process for me that I've learned. And, uh, and I do it daily and it's so healing. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I think that, uh, when you, I think when you make a habit out of it, the first time it might be weird. Feeling vulnerable is never like an easy thing. Um, but I've noticed when I've, I've kind of, you know, been on this, been on a journey of trying to, you know, figure out my emotions. I'm obsessed with, you know, what makes me tick and what makes everybody else tick. And, and I've noticed distinctly that when I, when I sort of, when I prove to myself that I am worth going through those emotions, it's worth it. Uh, 
it, it sort of gives me the first data point, right? Like I see this, you know, it's a data point where I have shown, okay, I have proof. I have evidence that doing this is, is worth it. And doing this has, has given me results. And then you do it again, you have a second data point. Now you have a line and you just keep doing this. And, and it always has, it's, I kind of use it as proof that like, when I'm angry or I'm feeling these emotions and my initial reaction is to know, bury, 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 get rid of it. Don't feel it. Don't worry about it. It's like, well, no, I have like this evidence right here and that's glaring. It's right here, you know? And so I really like that. You have to get curious about it and like that, like get curious about those uncomfortable emotions that are bubbling up. Like if something weird or just uncomfortable happens at work, I now allow myself to get curious about it. And I say, okay, like, do I need to take a moment and like do a heart connection, do a meditation? What can I do to process this and move through it so I can continue going about my day rather than suppressing it and having it come up later by having me, you know, snap at my staff or snap at my kids, because that's really what, Mm -hmm. you know, anger and unkindness um, and ego is. It's because you haven't like given yourself an opportunity to process those emotions. So they come out in other ways, like they did for me, which was through addictions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like that idea of, of how you phrase that, of, of uh, getting curious about it because yeah. it's, it's not, it is something where it's not just one question. You have to kind of follow this path of multiple questions and deeper questioning and until you can get to some, some sort of result or answer. I really like that. Yeah. And it um, goes back to my journalism background where, you know, curiosity for me is natural. That's my training. And so like, I really do apply a lot of journalism now to my uh, self-development and, and it, it has to do with curiosity and questioning. So like for anyone listening, like, you know, become mm-hmm. your own inner journalist and, and question yourself and your feelings and um, get curious about why that emotion might be bubbling up, what's coming up and why. Uh, that's been a very healing process for me too. Yeah. Perfect. I love that. Be, be your own journalist, report to yourself on be your own what's going on. Self-development. <laughs> yeah. That's a lo- I love that. Um, so I think that, I think one, uh, major deficiency I see in the world kind of today, or at least when it comes to individuals kind of gathering the gumption to do what it takes to, you know, lead a meaningful life and, and to make these decisions to embark on that journey. I think one of the biggest deficiencies I see is the bravery to start. Um, you talk in your book about how having brave conversations is completely necessary. I was wondering if you could expound kind of a little bit on why, why that's so necessary. Yeah. I, like I even now take a deep breath before I get into this, because I, I, what I say is that you need to make space for brave conversations. What does that mean? Well, for me, that meant having brave conversations around death and dying because that after my dad died was my greatest fear that I was going to instantly lose my sister, my mom, somebody else. And I interviewed um, a naturopathic doctor, Dr. Martha Callahan, who wrote this incredible book called A Death Lived, where she accounts the story of the process of her husband dying and how it was actually a beautiful process. And I was like, I got really curious and I was like, wow, in our society, we don't talk about death and like, you don't put the words death and beautiful together in one sentence. And then I started thinking, well, why not? Why don't we do that? Like, yeah, it's an end. You're never going to see that person again. But 
this is also a part of life. It's going to happen. Why do we not talk about it? And why do we have to make it so sad? And so I started getting curious about making brave conversations with my family, with my children. So we talk openly about death and dying. And they know that they have a grandpa who's in heaven and we go and visit his gravesite, And we talk about our beliefs in the afterlife and may, like, you know, and my husband and I have different beliefs, but we're very open and we share those with our children. We say it really can be whatever you believe in your heart, but it's the fact that we're talking about it and making it a safe conversation and also recognizing that death can be really beautiful too. You can find ways to make it beautiful, whether it's, um, the memory of a loved one. And like, for me, as an example, you know, my dad died 26 years ago. I'm training and running the army 10 miler, which is in his honor. I'm going to get a shirt that says Ranger on it. I'm going to go run 10 miles and I'm going to go put the shirt on his grave at Arlington cemetery. Right. So like thinking of ways that we really can make the process of dying and even the memory of our loved ones who have lost that we've lost, um, the, part of our conversations daily. Um, I think that also that we, you know, in our society, and I talk about this in, in my book, um, you know, somebody passes away and it's like, okay, we give, we can mourn them. We get bereavement for five days, but hundreds of years ago, um, widows who lost their husbands would grieve for a year and they would openly in public by wearing all black. I don't know where that stopped, but I wished it hadn't because I feel like we need to acknowledge that there is some sorrow in someone's life rather than someone passed. Okay, let's move on with life. We live in such a quick paced um, society and culture now that we're not stopping to acknowledge that this actually is sad. Yes, death can be beautiful. We can make space for brave conversations with it, but we can also support our loved ones um, by make, having brave conversations too. So that's what I mean by that. And Do Dr. Martha Callahan, um, incredible, incredible doctor and author who wrote the book, A Death Lived, is who I interviewed to talk about that. And in the book, I do share some of her advice on um, how you can make space for brave conversations, whether it's like writing a letter to your loved ones, um, and even still for me, um, making space for a brave conversation about the process of my mother eventually dying is one that I'm still actively working on because it's very uncomfortable for, for her. So, you know, you have to tread lightly and delicately de dependent on those person's beliefs and their comfort level, but there are ways to do it, to make it a more meaningful, deeper, deeper and beautiful experience. Yeah. Um, I, I really like the, the idea of what you said there about, um, the fact that there is an element of death that is beautiful. That's something that I think many people would hear and be like, wait, wait, wait what? You know, and, and it's, it's, and I've always really liked the idea that when you die, you live on through, um, regardless of, you know, what people believe spiritually, you live on through people remembering you, you live on through like what you're doing with your, with your father and, and <clears throat> running this race and, going and putting the, the shirt on his headstone. I think that's, that's amazing. And that's, I mean, in essence, he is, it's, it's beautiful because yes, he is, he is past, but you're allowing him to sort of live through you and, and, yeah. and living in his memory. And I think that that's, that's truly beautiful. So. Yeah. And I'm awesome. acknowledging it. Like, whereas, you know, remember in the beginning of this interview, I was like, none of my friends growing up knew my dad died. They didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just like telling the world, my dad was an amazing man. I miss him so much every day, but 
I am a part of him. He is a part of me. I am running in his honor. And even still 27 years later, 26, 27 years later, I am still finding ways to honor his memory. And I also, more importantly, am being an example for my children too, to create space, to have those brave conversations about their hero grandpa who passed away before, like, just like you, my kids are like you, they never got to meet their granddad. And so what's important to me is creating space to have those brave conversations and also keeping his memory alive, which is so beautiful to me. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, so moving on to a, another, another point, one of the, one of the major points that you outline in your book is the, is the feel network is the feel framework, mm -hmm. which you came up with and detailed in chapter seven. I think that there's a lot of power that can be derived from this. And so I was wondering if you could kind of explain what it is and, and how you kind of use it to navigate these really difficult emotions. Yes. Thank you for that question. Um, so the field framework, like you said, something that I came up with after I had gone through a couple years of healing and I was like, I think I've got a formula down here. Like, I think mm -hmm. I know how to process my emotions in a safe and healthy way. And so I, I actually like one day wrote it down and I was like, okay, I know what to do first. I'm going to focus on the emotion. What is that uncomfortable, weird emotion that if I don't focus on it right now, I'm going to suppress it and it's going to come out in other ways, right? So like first is focus, focus on that emotion, identify that emotion, acknowledge that emotion, say, hey, sadness, hey, grief, you're bubbling up today. Hey, um, okay, saying, hey, you're there, right? And you can do this through a meditation. You can do it through writing. I am sometimes walking and I kind of take a meditative walk and I go through the feel framework just to see where my mind and body is at. So focus on that emotion. Then this is the uncomfortable. It gets more uncomfortable. That's the whole point. Then you enter with that, within that emotion. So, okay, you've acknowledged that it's there. Enter within that emotion. And so sometimes that can just be taking a deep breath and allowing yourself to start feeling that emotion come through. So whether it's sadness, grief, it's a job loss, it's a divorce, it's a death, it could be anything. What is it that you're feeling? All right, enter within that emotion. So like you might need a quiet space to do it. You might need 20 minutes. You might need a minute. It can take as much or as, as little amount of time as you want. Next is allow yourself to experience that emotion. So this is where that primal um, hard and soft stress toolkit can come through because if it's anger and you want to scream, you allow yourself to scream, experience anger. If it's sadness, let it, let it come out in that physical way. If you're feeling elated and happy, maybe it's running, right? Or maybe it's like, I'm feeling stressed from work. Maybe it's also running. It's just allowing yourself to feel whatever the body wants to feel in terms of experiencing that emotion. And if it's also nothing, maybe it's just sitting there in silence because your mood might be somber that day. That's another way to process it and just meditate on it think and think about it. The whole, so it goes focus on it, enter within the emotion, experience the emotion. And the last part is listen to that emotion. Listen, learn, and love that emotion back. So listen to that emotion, get curious. What is that emotion here to tell you? What is it here to teach you? Learn from that emotion. Wow. Okay. Like, thank you, sadness. I, I, I understand today is a day where I am missing my dad and I am grateful for the sadness to be here because that just shows how much love I had for my dad and love that emotion back. Thank it for being there. Now, after you go through this process, at least this is what I have learned after years and years of going through this process that um, more than likely that emotion will still be there. Those, they're still there for a, week, uh, for a reason. 
But what's more likely is that you have a different way of viewing that emotion, of feeling about that emotion, and you most likely will feel better, but it's a whole way of reframing that emotion and allowing it to pass through you like a cloud to process that emotion and to eventually let that emotion go. And so maybe you need to go through the feel framework a couple times a day. I, I, eventually, I essentially go through it every day. Um, and it can be as often or as little as you like. But the whole point of it is to keep those emotions on the surface so you're not burying them within you in an unhealthy way. And so that's the feel framework from start to finish. And like I said, this can look however you want it to look. It can be through writing. It can be through walking. It can be through talking about it with somebody like saying, Hey, I'm going to go through my feel framework with you. I want to like, I'm going to talk it out with you. Um, it could really be any of that. It's what works for you. That's like the, that's what I've learned in this whole healing journey. There is no one size fits all. I'm just sharing a formula that has worked for me for years to keep me safe from bearing those emotions and more of acknowledging them and seeing them as a gift and processing them and eventually letting them go. Yeah. Uh, one thing you said I really, I really liked is, is right in the beginning, you said uh, that, that it's not easy. It just gets harder as you kind of move through the, the, the feel. And I, I love that. I think that, I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, it's obviously in the moment, it's not something that you always love, but I think that kind of going back to what we talked about previously about, you know, being brave and having these brave conversations, it's almost like having, it just made me think that, you know, you have to sort of be brave to do this in a sense, you have to be yeah. brave to have this conversation with yourself. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. I think that, um, I think that it's, it's, it's nice to have, it's really easy to to fall into these uh, pits where you have this emotion and it's really confusing and you don't know what's going on and you don't even know why you're feeling it maybe. And you don't really have any sort of game plan on how to address it. And I think that this is so important because it gives you that, that framework. It gives you that game plan on how to potentially how to, 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 to either fill it fully and learn from it and then, hopefully to, to release it and let it go. And I think that that's so important, especially, especially today with COVID and pandemic and all of this stuff going on, social media and all this stuff. There's so many emotions that we feel that are so complex that we just need sort of that framework. So I really do like that. Thank you. And I'll say this, it's a great framework that you can, if, if for any listeners that have kids can walk their kids through as well. Um, I think, you know, as a parent, and I talk about this in my book too, that I, um, I think in society, we always, we hear a kid crying. We say, stop crying. Stop that. Stop that. Why? Stop doing that. And, um, what, and I used to do that too. Okay. Full disclaimer. But after going through my healing process, if one of my children was crying, so now I stop and I say, Hey, I noticed you're upset about something. I'm curious. Like, what is it? Like, get curious about them, let them cry. And then I always say, it's okay to cry. Like this is needed. You need to let this out. So let it out, Alyssa, let it out, Kate. Or sometimes uh, my other daughter, Kate, she gets frustrated. She just likes to like punch air. And I'm like, great, that's super safe. Okay to punch air. You're not allowed to punch your sisters, but she gets angry and she'll scream and punch air. And I'm like, that's okay to do. I am glad you're moving through your feelings. And I think this is exactly what you need to be doing right now. So it's not just something that I think that we should be doing for ourselves. I think for our future generation, we should be teaching them and reteaching them that it is okay and safe 
to feel and giving them permission to feel so they don't suppress their emotions. Because I do think that's where a lot of childhood trauma comes from. That's where mine came from where I didn't know that it was safe to share my feelings. And um, therefore I buried my emotions. So I think that, you know, one of my like asks for any of your listeners is that do this for yourself, but do this for your kids too. So they don't end up like how I did um, Mm -hmm. and having to go through this years and years of trauma and life lessons to heal. Yeah, absolutely. I I really like that. I think that that's that's almost where where even more value can be found because it's great to do things for yourself. But when you can impart something so important and wise onto the next generation, and then hopefully it becomes a an ingrained thing for them to sort of just follow, and you know that could go on for generations to come. And so that is that is awesome. I love that. so after after trauma, I think it can be really hard to rebalance the body. Um, I went through an extremely, as I mentioned earlier, I went through an extremely debilitating uh, back injury about a year and a half ago, and I'm still healing from it. But um, it's been it's been an incredibly difficult and slow process. And but through it, I've sort of fallen, like I said earlier, I've sort of fallen in love with my my daily exercise, my running, um, eating better, and and getting enough sleep. Um, so going off of off of that, a lot of the trauma you endured, um, as you said, has been physical as well. So I'm just wondering how you have navigated sort of getting your body back into that that rebalance. Oh my gosh, yeah, and I'm so sorry. I mean, back injuries are awful. They're so debilitating. I've been there and I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. Um, my physical healing took years, years. My, my body was so out of, out of balance. Everything was, had started shutting down. Um, I had lost so much weight that I, I mean, I, I looked just very, very, very skinny, but it's because I, any food that I ate just would come right out. I couldn't keep anything down. It would just come right out of me. So what I learned was in the very early beginning stages was that, you know, you can heal thyself through food. So I said, wow, the food that I put in my body is important. And so I stopped eating breads, sugars. Um, I've experimented with not eating meat, you know, really just going to plant-based. So vegetables, fruits, love my smoothies, celery juice. I'm a big fan of medical medium. Uh, Anthony Williams, who um, and his book is a New York Times bestseller. So I, I got into um, really his his idea that um, we really can heal ourselves based on our diet, based on our stress levels. Um, I in my book I interviewed a dear friend of mine, Amber Bodily, who is a master herbologist and foot and face zoning practitioner. Um, which face, foot zoning, much like reflexology, is um, essentially about like there's pressure points in your feet where you can help address and get out the inflammations in certain parts of your body. My body was so inflamed. Um, so Amber and I had worked together for years and, um, I also learned the power of herbs. So I take, let's, for example, cat's claw or oregano, or sometimes garlic. If I'm feeling a sinus infection coming on, um, and, and just diving into the power of herbs and like the earth and nature and vegetables. So I'm, you know, I'm a gardener, I have a vegetable garden to really heal the body. Now people think that, um, that type of healing happens. Many people think that happens very quickly. It took me after changing my diet, it took about one year start to finish to start 
being able to even process food in my stomach again. It was so slow and long, but it is possible. I just chose that route because I was sick of having doctors just throw prescription drugs on me to suppress whatever was happening in my body when really my body was just inflamed. It needed to calm down. What did it need to calm down? It doesn't need any sugar. It didn't need any of this. It didn't need it. So like I, (laughs) my husband jokes, it's like, Oh, it's the Ashley diet, but like, it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle for me. Um, and, and even now, so I, now, you know, I, here I am five years later and I, I'm not, I I still don't eat a lot of sugars, but I do allow myself some breads and pastas because I'm Italian and I love to eat pasta, but you know, maybe it's a brown rice pasta versus pasta with flour. You know, I'm just more mindful about what I eat and what I put in my body. And, um, I'm just, and also mindful when I eat too, and thanking that food for nourishing my body when it's going into my body. Um, but it, it, I will say it is, it's been a hard, long journey where I, before my Lyme disease diagnosis, I would eat whatever I I wanted. Um, And I was also a pretty fit person beforehand. I was a Zumba instructor. I was a dance teacher growing up. um, And I would think that, oh, I can eat whatever I want. It's so not true. So just being very Mm -hmm. mindful and cautious about what you're putting in your body. Getting enough water and hydration is so key. Getting enough sleep. Oh my God. That's one of the most important things. If you're going to do anything, and if you're going to take anything away from this interview, get some sleep. I, as a network <laughs> news producer, I said I was addicted to work. I did not sleep for 10 years of my life. I truly mean that. I would sleep on my boss's couch. I would sleep during live shots. I would sleep in four hour increment increment naps. And then I had babies. I had three babies. So then I didn't sleep for years and years and years. But now I get eight to nine hours of sleep a night. I have a whole bedtime time routine. I have like a little cacao drink with vanilla powder. I have like, it's like a little hot cocoa. I have an eye mask. I have a sound machine. I have a humidifier. I have like everything I need to set me up to eight to nine hours of sleep at night because that your body needs that much sleep. And I used to not be like that. Uh, and I learned the hard way. So sleep, one of the most important things. Diet is so important for me. Exercise has grown to be so important. And um, something else that's been very important for me is, uh, and this, you know, this isn't for everyone, but breath work, meditation, and mindfulness has been a great way for me to heal. Just the power of the breath, breathing throughout the day, putting my hand on my heart, um, just really helps me energetically connect with myself, my higher self, my center. Uh, It reminds me that despite all the stress going around me at work, you know, running a company that I always have my heart to turn back to and my, and to bring myself into the present moment. So yeah, I just got off on like a whole other thing, but you, you asked about food. So, um, food has opened up the door and it's like, for me, it's been so healing and, uh, it's been a long journey of healing too. Yeah. I, 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 I feel like when I was younger, I played football in high school and, it was really easy to just like work out, you know, a couple of weeks and like see changes and stuff. And then I got older and it's like, that is not the case anymore. Yeah. And I can't eat, you know, McDonald's every meal, you know, any of this stuff. It's, it's, especially since my back injury, I've really started taking some of that stuff seriously. Um, just about how much I eat and how often and, and, and what I am eating and, and especially the sleep. I mean, sleep is, I can't, I can't, uh, overstate that as well is is i i used to get sick at least probably two or three times a year not like usually crazy sick maybe one you know pretty good flu or something but um usually a couple colds or something like that and 
ironically, I, this last week I did get a, I caught a little bug or something. I don't know, but um, but I since since I started eating better, sleeping better, and making sure that I get that that at least you know at least seven, but usually eight hours of sleep every night, um, and and eating better and drinking water like that is I always say water is the cure all headaches anything like that. Check your water intake. How much water have you had today? Um, because ever since I started doing that, I, I've gone the whole year without getting sick, um, throughout, through COVID and stuff. So I, it's, that's so important and it really does take, take time too with the, with the food. I think that, um, like I said, when I was younger, I I could just eat whatever I wanted and go to the gym for football and start seeing gains and whatever pretty quick, you know, you're a teenage boy, it's whatever, but all of a sudden you become an adult and it's like, Oh, I feel like crap after eating this, or I have no energy in the middle of the day now after, after, and I'm dehydrated or something. And so, but since I've started eating that eating better, it really, it really has, um, taken time, like I said, but, but made a huge difference and made a huge difference. Good yeah. job for like, good job. Yay us. High five. Because <laughs> I feel like it takes a lot of courage and bravery to make those significant changes, especially with diet mm-hmm. when you're so, you know, used to like kind of a crappy diet, which was me and really crappy sleep schedule, which was also me to make those significant changes. And like you, I have also not been sick um, during the pandemic. And I don't think that is any coincidence It's because I'm eating well, Mm -hmm. I'm sleeping well, I'm managing my stress. Well, I'm moving through all of my emotions. Well. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree. It in in college, I'd eat ramen noodles and takeout (laughs) like every single every day. And I would, I'd go to bed at like three and wake up at eight or something and get like five to six hours. Like it, it was just the worst habits you could possibly have for those things and it's no it's small wonder that I would get sick as much as I did and as soon as you change those things it it just gets a lot better so definitely a huge proponent of that as well but so Ashley I think the fact that uh that you interviewed over 20 experts on various topics for your book is totally awesome it really adds to the whole uh, like a whole other vein of credibility and authenticity, if I might say, uh, to the tactics and ideas that uh, you're putting forward. So through all those interviews, whether it was, you know, spirituality, mm-hmm. people that, that are, are versed in that or medicine or therapeutic stuff or psychological stuff um, or nutrition, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you learned from those experts? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like so many. Um, yeah, the impossible the question. Um, so, okay. Let me think here because um, I really did truly feel like as a journalist, it was so important that I tapped into these experts to share the, the scientific, often scientific proof that what I was saying was fact and being backed up by their expertise and accuracy. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, and also just being a publicist, having access to so many incredible healers. Um, let me just give you an example and rundown of some of them. Um, they're all so important to me in my life. But um, as an example, Dr. Jamil Zaki, he is a, uh, a Stanford psychologist who wrote the book, The War for Kindness. 
And so in my book, I talk about empathy and the importance of empathy and using empathy and just caring and being kind towards others as, um, as a way for you to heal. <laughs> Excuse me. And I think that is so important, especially in, there you go, I need some water now, <laughs> um, especially in the age that we live in, in this pan, this crazy pandemic world, there has been so much unkindness, um, whether you see it in politics or bad behavior on the streets or bad behavior in restaurants. And I've learned so much from Jamil just about the acts of kindness and being truly authentically empathetic towards others can just make the world a better place. So interview with him is included in there. Julie Riesler, who is um, my one of my dearest, dearest friends, my life coach. She's a life designer. I have learned so much from her about accessing my inner wisdom within. And I will say this. It was because of going through a coaching session with Julie that I intuitively felt called to write this book. Julie was with me when I told her in our session, I really feel like I need to write a book. I'm feeling really called to write a book. And if it wasn't for her and the guidance that she gave me to pull this out of me, this book wouldn't be there. And so, you know, she teaches so many great lessons um, about just listening to that inner wisdom within, accessing your heart, slowing down, meditation. And so I was so fascinated by her. Once I was finished with my book, I went through my coaching certification to be a life coach as well, because I was like, I saw how powerful this experience was for me that I want to be able to help others. So I like, I actually, I like my certificate. I just got it. It's the life designers coaching certification from Julie Research. So another expert that's featured in my book. Um, Marcy Moberg is my is a dear, dear friend and an energy healer who I've worked with for years. And she helps me. Um, she's been helping me process of like what's paying attention, like paying attention to what's in my body and what I'm feeling in my body and what I whether it's an upset stomach or my back is stiff or my neck hurts. That actually might be something energetic that you might need to address on a level, an emotional or mental level rather than just physical because our physical ailments are often manifestations of our emotions. And so I've learned so much about that through her. Leanne Taylor is my dear friend and spiritual mentor. She wrote one of the best books that I have ever read in my life called The Fragile Face of God. She has five children, three of which have fragile X syndrome, which is the highest form of autism nonverbal. Um, so she accounts her story through that. But also um, as a, a spiritual guide, she has um, learned how to just talk to the spirits of her children um, in a nonverbal way. And so she taught me the art of sacred writing about how you can just, I have journals everywhere, like every level of my house in every room, I have a journal because anytime (laughs) that I feel inspired to do sacred writing or just ask the universe or ask spirit, like what lesson do you have for me today? What wisdom do you have to share? It's so interesting that you find that you're getting messages from all around you and within you if you just get it out on paper. So that's another example that uh, of an expert I talked to as well. Uh, my friend Dan DeLuca, who is amazing, he starred in Disney's Newsies. We talk about healing through the arts. And uh, for me, um, the arts have been one of my greatest healing modalities. I grew up a dancer. My mom was a former professional ballet dancer, owned a dance school. So 
art um, and dance has been a huge part of my life. And so Dan talks about um, the just the history of the arts and how we use that uh, the arts as healing modalities. And as an example for me, when I was healing, I joined a choir because I wanted to sing. I literally wanted to sing. I don't. I can't tell you why, but it was the most healing thing for my voice to just sing these beautiful hymns. And so he's another great example of. Um, and he has he hosts an online show called The Invisible Things, which is fantastic. Gosh, there's so many more experts. I'm going to stop myself there because I could keep going. Um, but they're just, they're incredible, incredible people. There's more psychiatrists, psychologists, ER doctors within the book. Um, just their wisdom is so rich and incredible. And that's why I wanted to share it um, in this book because I would not be where I am today without them. And uh, and I'm just so grateful for to have each of them in my lives. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the earlier point of, of connections, if, if anybody needs, you know, like a <laughs> example of how valuable that can be, there it is. I mean, I think that that's amazing to, to, you know, you guys are all kind of moving this information around with each other and just in, in basically building each other up through it, through yeah. the process of that. And I think that that's awesome. So, and like I said, awesome that you have that many people, um, you know, cited and, 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 and interviewed for your book. I think that that really, really adds to it a lot. Um, but I, you know, I think it takes, I think it does take a lot to write a book. I'm, I'm trying to write one right now. I'm about 200 something pages in and <clears throat> it's the first one I've ever written and, uh, I love it. I've lo- I've really enjoyed it, but it's definitely, um, it's, it's not easy. Right. And, and I haven't even begun the process of like editing it or, or trying to get it published, which I'm sure is a whole nother animal. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what is it that, and, and you kind of already answered this a little bit um, in your life coaching session, what, what you said about that, but what is it, uh, what else is it that inspired you to do all these interviews and compile all this info mm. for this book in such a digestible way, you know, as you have, as you have with this book and what is your main uh, like hope for people that, that read it? Yeah, that's a great question. This is the book that I wish I had when I was going through my trauma, whether it was like as a high schooler, if I, if I had this, I, it would have helped me even now. So it's, it's the book that I was called to write because it's the book that I wish I had. Um, And I will also say this in writing about, I've never, I have never once written the account of losing my father until the moment I wrote it in my book. So this is, again, is 26 years later, something I never talked about, but I was feeling called that I need to share this to give my readers some perspective on like why I was so messed up for so many years. I will never forget the day that I wrote the account of losing him and actually writing it down. It was one of the most healing experiences I've had in years. And so like going back to that life coaching session where I felt like I'm called to write this book, but I think even more specifically, I was, uh, I was called to write down that first traumatic account of losing my father and subsequently the trauma that continued to happen uh, as a result to me not dealing with the, with the trauma of losing him. And I remember I broke down that day and was, and just was done with work. Like it was the most energetically heavy feeling I had. And I, it was so hard that I even called my husband, Mike, and I was like, 
I'm going to need you to come home from work because I need, I just need you. I need to just get this off my chest. I need, I just did this extremely excruciating yet necessary exercise. I didn't realize how much I would feel through this trauma again. Um, And, but I will say it was so good. It was so good. It was like, I released what I was holding within me. And so like, (laughs) for me, this book in and of itself was therapeutic just for me um, in a very selfish way. But my hope for it is that it's therapeutic for all readers. And I want all readers to know that you are not alone. Um, We, I, I am here for you. I have experts who are here for you. And also that healing is possible, no matter how impossible it may seem. Um, One of my favorite quotes is Audrey Hepburn, and it's like, nothing is impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. And so I just want readers to know that all things are possible. Healing is always possible, no matter what you may be going through. And I also want to acknowledge that everyone's trauma is completely different. And what has worked for me may or may not work for you. So I am purely sharing the my account of what worked for me. It might not work for you, but what's more important is that it might open up the door for you to get curious about what might actually work for you. So that's my hope with this book is that it just offers some sort of healing and some sort of curiosity about oneself to how they can find ways to heal their own life. It all starts by looking within finding your own authentic power and accessing that wisdom within. Absolutely. Um, I love what you said there about how if, if it isn't for you, if, if, if this exact method or, or whatever isn't, isn't for, isn't for you, then, then hopefully, you know, the hope would be that, that it might open the door for that kind of line of questioning. I think that's awesome. So there really is something, no matter what the trauma is, there's something there to be to be gleaned from it whether it just be that it starts the question process process or you know makes you a little bit more curious about how you can figure out what that thing is for you um or if it you know if something like the feel framework or or anything else actually provides a a massive like something that really does work for you i think that that's awesome that there's any way you look at it any way you roll the dice there's something there um and and I also really like that I noticed in the book there's you know there's like lines for 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 people to write on or or journal in and I really like I really like that I think that that's cool I, I oftentimes when I'm reading a book that I know I'm going to have a lot of thoughts about while I'm reading it um, I oftentimes will have sticky notes with me and I'll just like write on the sticky note and slap it on the page before I turn it to the next one um, in some books if I know it's one that it's just always going to be my book. Uh, then I just write directly in the book. But a lot of times um, I'll, I've kind of started doing the sticky note way and I, I kind of enjoy that. But um, so I really, I really appreciate that as well. But uh, so Ashley, can you tell listeners kind of where to connect with you and, and where to find more information about you and, and the upcoming release of Authentic Power? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for asking that, Christian. So you can get find Authentic Power at all major bookstores, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Um, our, my publisher is Collective Book Studio. It's also available on their website. Um, also, my website, ashleybernardi.com, will have a link to the book. And uh, I would love to hear from you. So you can reach out to me always on social media. I'm on Instagram. 
Instagram at Booker Bernardi and or Nardi Media, which is my PR firm. Um, but would always love to hear from you. And if you do buy the book, would love to hear how it resonates with you and uh, what healing modalities that you might have learned about that you want to try and might help you too. Great. Awesome. So um, before we go, I kind of want to read this little blurb about Ashley's book, because I really think that it puts light to what she accomplishes so well in its pages. It says, authentic power teaches us that our darkest hours are disguised as an opportunity to discover and process, feel, heal, and grow from our mess, even when society doesn't allow it. In the first book, Bernardi teaches that by taking off the mask of strength and honoring our feelings, we will be, we will awaken the power within and potentially turn our strength and honoring uh oh, whoops turn our stories and life experiences into a masterpiece and heal she interviews the world's leading experts in health and wellness who offer her healing and hope in her personal journey and to others in their journeys a rich collection of top doctors psychologists nutritionists coaches spiritualists and others Thank you so much for joining me today, Ashley. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Um, I'm really excited for the re release of your book. I think that you touch on so many impactful topics that are important treatments for some of the reoccurring issues we see today, especially in the wake of the pandemic. Um, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you, Christian. What a thoughtful conversation. It has filled my cup today. And I'm just so grateful for you and the time that you took to dive deep into the book. I hope it helps others. If you had a favorite interview point or thoughts about this discussion, you can share that with me either in the comments on Substack or over on Twitter. My handle is at CAshleman. That's at C-A-S-H-L-I-M-A-N. I'd love to know what your takeaways were and what you enjoyed or didn't about this discussion. Remember, the best way to support the show is by heading over to bedletter.substack.com and subscribing. The links to everything can be found in the description of this episode. I really hope you guys have an awesome week. I'm Christian, this is Bed Letter, and I'll see you next time.